You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Heart Matters, where leading cardiology experts explore the latest trends, technologies, and clinical developments in cardiology practice. Your host for Heart Matters is Dr. Janet Wright, Senior Vice President for Science and Quality for the American College of Cardiology. Standard troponin assays can be a crucial tool in diagnosing myocardial infarction, but have also been criticized for their low specificity at the time of presentation. Will newer, more sensitive troponin assays improve early detection and diagnostic accuracy for MI? Our guest today is Dr. David Morrow, Associate Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School and Director of the Samuel A. Levine Cardiac Unit in the Division of Cardiovascular Medicine at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts. Welcome, Dr. Morrow. Thank you. You know, I think before we launch into troponin assays, both those in the past and those in the present and future, maybe you could review for our listeners the concepts of sensitivity and specificity. So I think in sort of broad and even lay terms, the notion of sensitivity is that our ability to pick up all of the so-called true positive cases. So framed around troponin, it's our ability to detect patients with myocardial infarction without missing anyone who would have had a negative test or been missed by the test. Specificity relates to our ability to reliably identify those cases that are true positives without including false positive cases. And so our ability to discriminate those patients that in the context of troponin do not have myocardial infarction as a reason for their presentation to the emergency department. I think that's a very helpful foundation for all of us. Now, during my career in cardiology, CKMB was what I depended upon for helping me diagnose, at least chemical diagnosis of myocardial infarction. But in the last five or eight years, troponin has essentially supplanted that. Can you draw the distinction between those two for us? Sure. I think that the advantage of troponin and the reason that it really has become the center of our guidelines for clinical use for diagnosis is that it has better tissue specificity than does uh, CKMB. CKMB is present in measurable concentrations that can be released from uh, skeletal muscle as well as multiple other organs, whereas the isoforms, so the specific protein sequences of troponin that we can pick up with specific assays are released only by myocardial tissue. And because of that, we can get down and detect a signal amidst a lot of noise. And so for CKMB, if you fall down and have any skeletal muscle injury, your CKMB values will go up. With cardiac troponin, that's not the case. If you see an elevation, it really is related to myocardial injury. What were some of the challenges with the standard troponin assay? So, well, we've had a lot of evolution, I think, in the troponin (laughs) assays that are the initially available assays. I had some, at least compared to current ones, had a higher rate of false positive results where you'd measure troponin in the blood, but it might not be there because of some interfering substance. And very early on, there was some cross-reactivity from troponin that was released from other tissues. But since then, the assays really have had progressive improvement, which has allowed us to measure troponin more reliably at much lower concentrations. 
I think that's so important to note because in the beginning, at least uh, in my hospital, I've learned this from other colleagues, we trusted the troponin to help us diagnose myocardial infarction or confirm our clinical suspicions. And then more recently, a more sensitive assay was created. And I think that substitution of one assay for another in a hospital from one day to the next, sometimes without much notification of the staff could create, and in effect, in our case, did create quite a bit of consternation in the diagnosis process. So talk to us about that more sensitive assay. Yeah, so I think you've made a terribly important point, and that is that I think we do have to recognize that the transition has created, I'll even say a lot of frustration, consternation, as you said, for clinicians. And I think that the key concept that's very important for people to grasp is that as we have moved toward more sensitive assays using lower cut points, we have picked up myocardial injury in a variety of clinical settings that we didn't use to. And so I think this brings us back to the concept of specificity. Troponin has extremely high tissue specificity. So if you see a rise in troponin, it is related to myocardial injury, release from cardiac myocytes. But that rise doesn't by itself have specificity for acute plaque rupture and thrombus in a coronary artery as the cause of that injury. And so we all know when we've taken care of patients who've come in who've been incredibly sick with a pneumonia, for example, and have tachycardia perhaps on that basis and have underlying coronary disease, that we can see a rise in cardiac troponin. And that often gives us a sense of it being a false positive test. But I think we have to reframe how we think about it. It does indicate that there's myocardial injury, but we want to recognize that it's not acute plaque rupture and thrombosis, but rather this was a setting where there may have been myocardial injury because of increased demand, myocardial oxygen demand in the setting of another illness. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Janet Wright. Our guest today is Dr. David Morrow, Associate Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School and Director of the Samuel A. Levine Cardiac Unit in the Division of Cardiovascular Medicine at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston. We're discussing a new, more sensitive troponin assay. David, you were talking about the revelation that troponins in this new, more sensitive assay are elevated, indicating myocardial injury but not necessarily indicating an occluded artery or plaque uh, that has ruptured. This is one of my favorite topics, is trying to integrate what we know from our lab tests with what we know from our clinical experience and our understanding of pathophysiology. What guidance would you give to the audience faced with an elevated troponin and yet not the classic picture of the transmural myocardial infarction? I think this is really probably the most important point in using any of our biomarkers as tests that we always have to integrate it with the clinical setting. And I I think we were attracted very early on to using troponin as a simple yes-no and maybe got away from using our clinical impression of the patient's uh, symptoms and the likelihood that they represented ischemia, the pretest probability of underlying coronary disease based on risk factors, and other clinical signs such as evidence of heart failure or ischemic changes on the EKG. And we really do have to use all of those things together. 
and make an assessment of whether we think that there's a moderate or high clinical probability that the patient does have an acute coronary syndrome. And in that setting, we should use the troponin to drive treatment in this the high-sensitivity assays are a major improvement on the assays we've had before. On the flip side, to your patient that you just described, where the patient doesn't have a good clinical story, it turns out from a vast number of studies across a variety of settings that that myocardial injury, though, still does tell us something prognostically, but our general approach should be to manage the underlying cause. So in the example of the pneumonia I gave, it's to recognize that this is a higher-risk patient with pneumonia and to treat that pneumonia as aggressively according to our local standards of clinical practice. I think that's such an excellent point that you make, that even a small elevation in troponin carries significant uh, prognostic relevance. It does, and we've found that certainly in patients with acute coronary syndromes, and I think that has been an important step as we've started to evaluate more and more sensitive assays, that it does mean something in the setting of someone coming in with a clinical story that makes sense for acute coronary syndromes. But in work done many other investigators around the world, we've also found that myocardial injury in other settings such as acute pulmonary presentations, pulmonary embolism, sepsis, that that injury also means something prognostically for those patients too, even though it doesn't mean that we should be rushing them off to the cath lab. What additional studies would be helpful? What's our next wave of understanding about these troponin assays and the clinical significance? Yeah, so I think there are two major directions. I think that we still do need, as we've gotten to more and more sensitive assays, and there is even another, yet another generation of assays to come, that we do have to do those careful studies to assess the prognostic implications as we get to these very low levels. It is conceivable that someday we might get to a concentration that just doesn't carry that same prognostic weight. And then the second is how we might use troponin with other tools, maybe other biomarkers, that could actually help us discern plaque rupture as the cause of myocardial injury or an occluded coronary artery as the cause of the myocardial injury. Using those two tests together would even help us do a better job, I think, at driving our clinical treatment for those patients. And I would ask for your advice about the use of imaging techniques and technologies as additional diagnostic modality in some of these patients that are not so straightforward. I think that that is an excellent tool where we have growing experience now. I think in patients with elevated troponin where we don't think that they have an acute coronary syndrome or we've even done a coronary angiogram and may not find coronary artery disease, that imaging may be useful in detecting myocardial disease that's underlying, for example, myocarditis or an infiltrative cardiac disease. And uh, cardiac MRI in particular has been used in several studies and clinically to uh, help discern the cause of myocardial injury in patients where the diagnosis was not ACS. I wonder if you would share with our audience the use of troponin in two settings. One is following PCI, let's say elective PCI, not a STEMI case, and the other is in a patient who's undergone coronary bypass graft surgery. So both of those are, I think, still dynamic areas for us in making, as our professional societies are formulating and reformulating guidelines as to Mm -hmm. what cutoffs we should use 
to make a diagnosis of myocardial infarction. In both of those settings, we can detect myocardial injury with a sensitive assay for troponin in a very high proportion of cases, maybe even more than 75%, even in elective PCI with our very sensitive assays. The prognostic implications of that are, I think, still a subject of debate, especially at the low concentrations. For bypass surgery, we'll see a low-level elevation of troponin in almost all cases simply because of manipulation of the myocardium and injury that can occur during cardiopulmonary bypass. So the real question we're left with right now is, what cutoffs should we use? And that's still an evolution. And also, what clinical response we should have, if any, to the low-level elevations. And I think right now, I don't think there's any evidence to tell us one way or the other to do something specifically for a patient who has a low-level increase in a cardiac troponin after a PCI, for example. You know, this uh, understanding that you've shared with us today reminds me of the complete change that clinical folks were asked to undergo when we learned that people who had had a non-ST segment elevation myocardial infarction were actually at even higher risk of a subsequent event than folks who'd had a STEMI. I remember telling someone with a, what was then an NSTEMI that they'd had just a small heart attack, and it turned out they probably had had an incomplete event and yet were at quite high risk subsequently. We may be able now to identify a subset of high-risk patients that didn't have an infarct this time, but certainly were showing signs of a compromised blood flow to the myocardium. That's absolutely the case. And in fact, just like the scenario you described, in patients who have a clinical syndrome that's consistent with an acute coronary syndrome, those low-level elevations actually identify patients who have the most to gain from some of our standard therapies. As I often tell the residents that I'm rounding with in the CCU, in some extent, you can think of it as a warning shot across the bow, that they had a right. small amount of myocardial injury, but in fact, there's still a large territory that's at risk. And we found that our more potent platelet inhibitors and also routine early coronary angiography and intervention often give those patients the most gain because it reduces the risk of having another heart attack in that same territory or recurrent ischemia that brings them back to the hospital. We've been talking with Dr. David Morrow about new, more sensitive troponin assays and the impact on patient outcomes. Dr. Morrow, thank you for being our guest today. You're very welcome. It's an absolute pleasure. You've been listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. For more information on this week's show or to download a podcast of this segment, please visit us at ReachMD.com. Thank you for listening.